and welcome to the next episode of BPP's Sex, Lies and Audio Tape series. I'm David Hayter and today we'll be discussing an incredibly important issue that is capable of confusing even the most well-intentioned of adults, let alone students, and that's sexual consent. This podcast aims to share legal information with teachers to help them teach the topic of sexual consent in general, but we'll also be discussing the specific sexual offence of rape and talk about the growing area of concern called stealthing. As well as explaining the law, we'll be providing some example activities for teachers that you can use in the classroom to help teach your young students. Our discussion is going to be fairly frank today, but we'll of course leave it up to the individual teachers to decide how best to share this information and which terminology to use in their own classroom, based on the age and development stage of each student. Today I'm joined by a panel of three top trainee law students who are passionate about this area of the law. Firstly, Elizabeth Walker. Would you like to tell us about your background, Elizabeth, and why this topic is important to you? I'm currently studying the bar training course at BPP in Manchester um, with the aspiration of practicing in family law. With regards to the topic on consent, this is something as a female growing up, I realise consent isn't just a matter of yes and no. Even before studying law, I had a passion for advocating issues surrounding sexual health and consent. And hopefully programmes like this can help in breaking down the stigma and having a discussion about sex. During my undergrad, I delivered a project on laws on consent to college students. I was very surprised that by some of the answers that the students had given uh, during some of the tasks. A lot what they identified as consent wasn't at all, which was really concerning. Without education, how is the next generation supposed to learn about the previous generation's mistakes? That's a really important point to make, because I, I can say for myself, I went to a Catholic school and our teachers simply decided we didn't, didn't need to know about sex because they didn't want us to be having it. And that's not helpful for anyone, let alone uh, young kids who are confused and perhaps interested in having sex. Next up is Louise Decasse. Now, Louise, uh, sex education is something you care deeply about. You've even started your own campaign about one of the topics we'll be discussing today. Hi, yeah, so um, my name's Louise and I'm currently studying a Master's with an LPC at BBP University, um, hopefully to become a, a solicitor one day. I'm really excited to get involved in this project because I believe that sex education is really important and projects like these can help tackle lots of the taboos around sex and relationships and can dispel some of the harmful misconceptions which are out there. I also run a campaign through Instagram called End Stealthing, which aims to raise awareness of the offence and share experiences and resources and give advice on where to find support. We'll be covering stealthing a little bit later on, so we'll go into more detail then. And finally, we're joined by Ella Gosling. Uh, now, Ella, tell us what inspired you to engage with this area of the law. Yes, hi, my name's Ella Gosling. I'm currently completing the postgraduate diploma in law at BPP with an end goal of becoming a solicitor. And I was incredibly keen to volunteer for this project, and this topic in particular, because I believe that the issues surrounding such a sensitive and important subject are so prominent within society, and especially amongst young people. I believe it's something that really needs to be spoken much more openly and honestly about, and I think it deserves much more recognition than it gets. I think it's really important for young people to feel able to speak up and act in ways to help to protect themselves and their peers and to try and move away from the stigmas which surround society and these issues in particular. There are so many barriers which prevent young people from feeling confident enough to speak up which is why I believe that it's so vital that we educate ourselves and them on it as much as we can. 
And that's a really important point. And that actually reflects on why I wanted to join this podcast. And it's important I should probably say why, especially from my perspective as a guy, I wanted to be a part of this project. Because consent is a subject that has really come to the forefront of men's minds in recent years. Uh, and is really a source of confusion for so many of us. When I went to university about a decade ago, you were going to bars and clubs, and I can guarantee you, you would never hear a bunch of guys talking about consent. Now, that didn't mean they didn't care as individuals, uh, far from it, but it just wasn't an issue that men tended to engage with or particularly understand. But fast forward a decade, and we've had the Me Too movement, we've had the Chet Evans case, and we've had a host of celebrities fall from grace, and all of that has changed. Consent and rape is something that you hear guys debating down the pub constantly. Most men mean well, but I know from first-hand experience that there is a lot of confusion about what is legal and what isn't. Uh, what is consent and what isn't and what counts as rape and even how on earth do you ask for consent when you're you know uh, trying to trying to seduce someone it's not this it's not a sexy subject in some ways and i really think it's great that we're finally having these discussions and i would love to help clear up these thorny issues for the next generation and their teachers uh, this is something you shouldn't have to figure out on your own on the fly when you're a teenager but now you know why this subject means so much to us i think it's time we told you what topics we'll be covering today and we're going to be talking about consent rape and stealthing. And to kick us off, it's time I hand it over to Elizabeth, who's going to explain the law surrounding consent. In order to make sexual consent equal, safe and a positive experience for all, it's important to understand what consent means and why it's important. So when recognising someone is consenting and when they aren't, and to understand the potential legal consequences for when consent is not obtained. A great way to kickstart this topic off with students could be a brainstorming activity. So asking the students to consider their ideas on what consent is, different ways it can be given or withheld, and why it's important. You could start by discussing the idea of consent in general before honing in on the idea of consent specific to sexual activities. So you could uh, create a spider diagram starting not consent or when consent is given and ask the students to fill in the blanks. It may be useful as well to ask the students what sort of signals that are non-verbal cues someone might use to indicate that they're not consenting. So for example, no eye contact or shaking. Within the Oxford Dictionary, consent is defined as permission for something to happen or an agreement to do something. Now, consent in the legal definition within the Sexual Offences Act 2003, it's that someone agrees by choice and has the freedom and capacity to make that choice. So the definition is in two parts. So first of all, being someone agrees to something by choice. And the second part of the definition in that they have freedom and capacity to make that choice. So the students might be wondering, uh, what are some examples of people who don't have capacity? So that could be people with severe mental health problems or learning difficulties, um, anyone under the age of 16. Also as well, someone who's unconscious. So it might be that they're asleep or in some cases um, under the influence of drugs or, or drink. So they're just too drunk there to be able to give consent. 
There's also situations when a person uses force or threatens them. So in this situation, they wouldn't feel like they'd actually have a choice. So the threats could be regarding their physical safety or any other threats such as exposing a secret or kind of financial gain there. Another one would be a situation when a person is under the age of 18 and having sexual activity with someone that was in a position of trust. So that could be someone, for example, like a teacher, if a pupil was in sixth form there and they were age of 17, because the power dynamic um, of that, basically they don't have a freedom of choice there because they're, they're too young to, to actually make that decision. Thank you very much for clearing that up. But of course, we don't want to. We don't want the kids coming away from this class being absolutely terrified of any sexual interaction they might have had. So, uh, what should, for example, teenagers be worried about in terms of a criminal record or consequences? Oh yeah. So bear in mind, when actually teaching the legal aspects of sexual consent to people under the age of sixteen, whilst sex under the age of sixteen is illegal realistically the police are not likely to actually pursue a criminal prosecution matter against them say um both of them are 15 years old and they willingly had sex and that there's no evidence of kind of pressure being put on one party or the other there it's important from a legal um position though that sexual consent is taught alongside wider discussion with younger people regarding um, kind of emotional needs of the, the people involved and that they're actually ready for sexual activity with each other. So to summarise, consent is about proactive choice and should not merely be looking for, you know, the absence of a no, but a positive yes. And remember, it's important that there is true freedom to consent there. So saying yes, just to keep yourself safe from harm isn't consent. Um, coercing someone into having sex with you is not okay and you can change your mind part way through there's a fantastic video that's produced by the Thames Valley Police which explains consent in terms of making someone a cup of tea um, which is going to be included within the resources which we'll play now If you're still struggling with consent just imagine instead of initiating sex you're making them a cup of tea. You say, hey, would you like a cup of tea? And they go, oh my God, I would love a cup of tea, thank you. Then you know they want a cup of tea. If you say, hey, would you like a cup of tea? And they're like, uh, you know, I'm not really sure. Then you can make them a cup of tea, or not, but be aware that they might not drink it. And if they don't drink it, then, and this is the important bit, don't make them drink it. Just because you made it doesn't mean you're entitled to watch them drink it. And if they say, no thank you, then don't make them tea. At all. Just don't make them tea. Don't make them drink tea. Don't get annoyed at them for not wanting tea. They just don't want tea, okay? They might say, yes please, that's kind of you. And then when the tea arrives, they actually don't want the tea at all. Sure, that's kind of annoying as you've gone to all the effort of making the tea, but they remain under no obligation to drink the tea. They did want tea, now they don't. Some people change their mind in the time it takes to boil the kettle, brew the tea and add the milk. And it's okay for people to change their mind, and you are still not entitled to watch them drink it. And if they are unconscious, don't make them tea. Unconscious people don't want tea, and they can't answer the question, do you want tea? 
because they're unconscious. Okay, maybe they were conscious when you asked them if they wanted tea, and they said yes, but in the time it took you to boil the kettle or brew the tea and add the milk, they are now unconscious. You should just put the tea down, make sure the unconscious person is safe, and this is the important part again, don't make them drink the tea. They said yes then, sure, but unconscious people don't want tea. If someone said yes to tea, started drinking it, and then passed out before they'd finished it, don't keep on pouring it down their throat. Take the tea away. Make sure they are safe, because unconscious people don't want tea. Trust me on this. If someone said yes to tea around your house last Saturday, that doesn't mean they want you to make them tea all the time. They don't want you to come around to their place unexpectedly and make them tea and force them to drink it, going, but you wanted tea last week, or to wake up to find you pouring tea down their throat, going, but you wanted tea last night? If you can understand how completely ludicrous it is to force people to have tea when they don't want tea, and you are able to understand when people don't want tea, then how hard is it to understand when it comes to sex? Whether it's tea or sex, consent is everything. And on that note, I'm going to make myself a cup of tea. I think we can all agree that that Thames Valley Police video is awesome and it does a great job of explaining consent, as did Elizabeth. But now I think it would be really helpful, especially for school students, if we could put this law into some kind of real life context. So we're going to run through a few scenarios and I'm going to ask some questions that I know I've heard people ask, even my friends. So, Elizabeth, say you've hooked up with someone on the dance floor, you're making out of each other, you both seem to be having a great time you're both happily instigating the action, as it were, and your partner has accepted your invitation to go back to their place. So what do we need to know about consent in this situation? Is body language and engagement enough to equal consent? Can you change your mind? What, what's the situation, this kind of classic dance floor going back to someone else's place scenario? Well, many people believe that you can rely on body cues or non-verbal communication, along with kind of gauging your partner's sexual interest in you. But it leaves way too much room for misinterpretation here, I think. If you're not sure if he or she's into you, then just ask. It doesn't have to be kind of robotic in any way. So, for example, you can be like, does that feel good? What do you like? You know, things like that. The goal is for your partner to know that you're listening to them and that you're respecting them and their wishes, basically. And if there is any point that they feel uncomfortable then they feel comfortable to be able to say that to stop another important um, teaching point with regards to consent is that it doesn't just apply to sex so it could be um, you know any matter of sexual activity so this could be oral sex snogging talking dirty on the phone sending nudes you know touching someone's bum, and so many other things as well everyone has different boundaries on sexual activity and it's important to actually check with them as to what they're comfortable with. So, for example, a yes to kissing and being naked together might not necessarily mean a yes to all the sex, though. And I think that's a really important point to make. And it's really crucial to understand, especially from a guy's point of view, uh, whether you're gay, straight or bi, that an erection doesn't equal consent. Like, men are horny, we just are. Just because you've got an erection doesn't mean you're saying yes. You can still decline or and if you do say no that doesn't mean you're somehow lying to yourself or to the other person you've just made a decision yourself 
and I can even speak from my own experience in recent times. I've had a serious law exam and I've been quite horny and I've had to say to my girlfriend, it might not seem like it, but I really want to go to sleep and wake up at 8am to do this exam. So sometimes you can just say no, even if your body cues might appear to be saying, yes, it's your it's your right to consent or not consent. Well, it's not just guys. Girls also do get aroused as well. So they can get like hardened nipples, like vaginal lubrication, to sexual activity as well. So it's important for young people to understand that even if someone's body is reacting in a particular way, that bodily response alone doesn't equate to consent. You still have the freedom to choose what they do and don't do. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point to raise. And I think that's something that people really need to be uh, cognizant of uh, when it comes to sexual consent for both men and women. But now it's time to turn our uh, attention to a really serious subject matter. And that's one of the criminal offences of rape. And Ella is on hand to explain this really sensitive but serious element of the law. Thanks for that, David. So there's actually a few definitions of rape. Um, It can be defined as when a person intentionally penetrates another's vagina, anus or mouth with their penis without the other's person consent. And the perpetrators had reason to believe that the person did not so consent. It can also be defined as assault by penetration, which is when a person penetrates another person's vagina or anus with any part of the body other than their penis, or could be by using an object without the person's consent. In this instance, the perpetrator also had reason to believe that the person did not so consent, but continued anyway. So the maximum punishment for rape, attempted rape and assault by penetration is life imprisonment. And I think that really demonstrates the severity of it and obviously the consequences that follow from it. An important statistic about rape is that figures from British Crime Service show that at least one in four women and one in 30 men experience rape or sexual assault at some point during their lives. That's a really powerful statistic that underlines why it's important we make sure young people understand this area of the law, because this isn't some rarity that's just from movies or TV. This is something real that affects, as you can see, a huge, great swathe of the British populace. I think rape is one of those topics that people think they understand, but true people really do understand the details and the law. A YouGov poll discovered that a third of the UK population believe that rape cannot exist if there's no threat of physical violence. While over in America, 51% of men admit that they don't know what constitutes sexual assault. So with those kind of statistics in mind and this very hazy background of people not understanding what's rape and what's consent and what isn't, I think it's really important that we in this podcast and you with your students tackle some of the biggest myths that surround rape and uh, Elizabeth and Ella are on hand to talk us through some of these key areas that are confusing to both adults and children. So I think it's really important to tackle some of the myths that surround this topic and I think a really useful activity might be to put some of the myths to the class and see whether they agree with them or not. So here I'm going to read out some of the common myths and Elizabeth's going to follow up with the facts that surround them. The first myth we're going to look at, the idea that there needs to be a physical force involved for it to be classed as rape. Well, the absence of consent is key to establishing whether the offence has actually been committed. So physical force or the threat of it can be used as evidence to demonstrate whether or not consent is present. However, you know, as discussed already, there are so many other factors that are relevant to actually establishing if consent is present or not. So, for example, age, um, whether the vic- victim's conscious, whether they have any learning difficulties, um, 
anything like that really that could actually impair their ability to give a true consent. And the second myth we're going to look at is that women are most likely to be raped outside, after dark, and by a stranger. <laughs> well, it's actually only around about 10% of rapes that are committed by strangers. So that leaves around about 90% of rapes that are committed by someone that the victim knows. People are raped in their own homes, workplaces, settings where they've previously felt safe themselves. The risk of rape should not control or restrict women's rights or freedoms. But we should think about the statistics here and drive home the actual importance of teaching consent in a classroom and actually reflect on the issues that can arise from some of the situations where the predator and victim are known to each other and may, for example, already be in a relationship together. Okay, and one third and very common myth is that if two people have had sex with each other before, it's always okay to have sex again. If a person's in a relationship with someone or they've had sex with him or her before, it doesn't mean that he or she cannot sexually assault them. Sexual consent must be given every time that the two people engage in sexual contact. And finally, the final myth is that men don't get raped and women don't commit sexual offences. So yeah, the, the majority of sexual assaults and rapes are committed against women and children. However, there is still a small number of women who do commit sexual violence offences. Often, people who have been sexually assaulted by a woman are fearful that you know, they might not be believed or that their experience would not be considered, you know, as bad as being raped by a man. This can make it especially difficult for those survivors to actually access the services for justice. So it's really important for young people to actually understand that it's okay for them to come forward and actually seek help if they've been subject to a sexual offence, whatever gender it is. Uh, well, it's great to have those issues clarified. But I think it's important to put these concepts into a real-life context. And I think it might prove useful with your students to run through some scenarios. While Ella is describing these situations, ask your students to think about whether consent has been given in each scenario. These situations can be used within the classroom by getting students involved in a broader discussion about consent. And they're a really great jumping-off points to see which students understand when consent has been given and when they don't. And it, it clarifies issues that can cause a lot of confusion. And we're going to start off with Ella telling us about a situation involving Sarah and David, uh, not me, by the way. So Sarah and David know each other from their yoga class, and they decide to go out one evening after a class finishes. And they go to a bar. Each of them consumes several alcoholic drinks. And then at which point Sarah goes to the bathroom. When she comes out, she has her shirt untucked and her bra is off, which causes her nipples to be visible through her top. She suggests to David that they get, go back to her house and order some dinner. David agrees and they go back to her house, eat dinner and lie next to each other on the floor. David caresses her face and kisses her. Sarah enjoys it and kisses him back. Then David starts to remove all of her clothes. And when Sarah realises what is happening, she mumbles, no, I don't want to do this, very softly into David's ear. Feeling like she's given David misleading, misleading signs. She turns her head to one side and remains silent while David has sex with her. There's a few issues raised within this scenario that you could use different aspects of consent to actually talk to the, the people about. So Sarah's verbally said no to having sex here and has also given 
non-verbal cues as well. So silence, staring away, which indicates as well that she's not given consent. So it's important to emphasize that it is okay to withdraw consent at any point in any type of sexual activity. And people shouldn't feel like something has gone too far. So the impression that's being given off to someone else can change and you can feel uncomfortable by these continued actions. It's also raised an issue about clothing and certain types of clothing do not equate to consent in sexual activity. The issue of alcohol consumption as well should be explored with the, the students as to whether or not Sarah might be so intoxicated that she's actually incapable of giving consent. So the answer to this, it's not completely clear from the facts shared in the scenario. You might want to consider with the students what evidence might indicate that she's too drunk to consent. So, for example, if she's slurring her speech or unable to walk straight or drifting in and out of consciousness. Okay, and the second scenario that you could give is a situation between Rob and Sally who have been dating for six months. So they've previously had sex and one Saturday night they decide to have a night in and watch films together. They watched a film and when it ended they began to kiss. Feeling turned on, Rob began to take off Sally's clothes. Sally asked him to stop immediately and said she wasn't feeling it, but Rob persisted and replied, saying he was too turned on to stop. Rob continued to have intercourse with Sally while she lay there and cried. This really importantly raises the question, do you have an obligation to stop unwanted sexual activities when you're turned on? Yes, of course. If they've been together for a while, then you're probably more familiar with each other's boundaries and non-verbal cues there. But in some ways, if you've been together with someone for a while, then you have to work harder to actually make sure that they feel comfortable in saying no. But when you're first figuring out each other, you need to actually make sure that there, there is a line of communication open. So a key point um, with teaching this particular scenario could be about the clear evidence that Sally has not consented to the specific sexual activity from her verbal cues and also from her non-verbal cues, for example, crying. So just because they've had sex previously doesn't actually mean that there's consent is continuous. So you can consent to one form of sexual activity in the past and say no now. So everyone has the right to actually give it and withhold consent at any particular time and for any particular sexual activity. Oh, well, thanks to both of you for uh, clearing up those really tricky scenarios. And it's, it's just a really good exercise to come up with these scenarios based on issues that cause confusion and talk them through with the class and explain what the actual uh, rules of the game are, as it were. And I know in that, uh, in that discussion, you touched, upon, uh, you touched upon this topic in your explanation, but I think it's a really key point uh, that has been really distorted by films, TV, and even video games in people's mind that there is this image in people's head of what rape is and what it looks like. It's violent. The victim will be screaming. Someone will be crying. They'll be fighting back. And anything less than that is just consensual or just a misunderstanding. And you have this narrative that if that's not the case, the other person must be lying. And that's uh, and what you uh, what's really important to understand is that that isn't rape. That, that might be one type of rape, but there's a whole spectrum. And there's so many ways to say that someone can say no or withhold their consent 
and you have to understand those scenarios and be sensitive to what your partner might be trying to communicate to you. It's not just that one uh, thriller movie image of rape. It's a much serious issue, a serious and complicated issue than that. Now it's time to turn our attention to stealthing, a very serious act and issue that I didn't even realise had a name until I met Louise and heard all about her campaign. And she's going to tell us everything we need to know about it. Thank you, David. So, yeah, um, as I mentioned earlier, I recently set up the End Stealthing campaign, which is sort of aimed at highlighting the issue of stealthing, which is a form of sexual assault which many people don't know about. So stealthing actually refers to the removal or damaging of a condom during sex without partner's consent and often knowledge. Stealthing largely affects young, sexually active people of all genders, and it opens the victim up to the risk of STIs and unwanted pregnancies, not to mention that the offence can feel extremely violating, just like any other sexual assault. And it can also feel isolating for the victim because it's often laughed off as not a big deal. And from, from a legal perspective on stealthing, in 2012, the Supreme Court acknowledged that non-consensual condom removal could amount to an offence under the Sexual Offences Act 2003. And in the same case, it was also speculated that the offence could fall under molestation, assault, or since it involved penal penetration rape. And obviously rape is the criminal offence that we've just discussed. However, it was not until 2019 that there was a conviction in the UK which specifically related to stealthing. So Lee Hogben um, was having otherwise consensual sex with a sex worker in a hotel in Bournemouth um, when he decided to remove his condom and threaten her with violence when she pleaded with him and said that she did not consent to unprotected sex. He was sentenced to 12 years in prison after being found guilty of rape. Um, it is also interesting to consider the case of Dowell Rowe. So in 2018, Dal Rowe was the first person to be jailed for deliberately infecting people with HIV. Rowe assaulted multiple men across the UK and would often pressure his sexual partners into unprotected sex or secretly move his condom during sex. He would then harass those partners and tease them about infecting them with HIV. Rowe was convicted of inflicting grievous bodily harm on five people and attempting to inflict GBH on five more. He is currently serving a life sentence in prison. So now let's try and put this in context for people, because as I say, it can be a new idea for a lot of people who are just familiar with rape or just general terms like that, or who might even, as we've said, might find rape itself confusing, let alone stealthing. So like like uh, Ella and Elizabeth did, I'm going to throw some questions or mini scenarios uh, that you might want to share with the class. And Louise is going to run through the kind of the truth behind the scenario as it was. So, so I was having consensual sex with a girl and she didn't notice that I'd taken the condom off whilst we were changing positions. It was more pleasurable for us both, and I made her orgasm. She enjoyed herself, so did I really do anything wrong? So it's actually a common misconception that if someone has an orgasm, they cannot be a victim of rape or sexual assault. This idea actually feeds into a harmful culture, which minimises the experience of victims. And in this case, your partner consented to protected sex, and through deception, you violated the boundaries of her consent. Consent is a personal and subjective thing, and what one person may consent to, another person may not. So it is important to have a conversation with your partner in order to establish what is and isn't okay. So what if the condom breaks by accident and I just don't notice? Is, is that still stealthing? Well, in this case, this wouldn't necessarily fall under the category of stealthing and it wouldn't be classed as sexual assault in law. In criminal law, the mens rea element of the crime is missing. Um, this means that you lack the intention of violating your partner's consent as the condom broke by accident. 
accidents happen all the time but if this is a frequent occurrence or it is of concern to you or your partner it may be worth considering alternative birth control options so awareness of stealthing has grown in recent years and although it is a slow process the law is constantly being updated to reflect the offence in our opinion more work needs to be done within the criminal justice system to ensure that stealthing by deception rather than just violence is properly captured by the legal definition of sexual assault and that the criminal prosecution service pursue these cases with the seriousness with which they deserve. Well, thank you very much for filling us in on stealthing. This can be a really important topic to raise when you're discussing safe sex and doing that basic sex education with your students. Now, before we bring this episode of Sex, Lies and Audio Tapes to an end, I think it's important that we reflect on the key messages that we want every single student to understand in relation to consent. However old you are, sex and sexual activity, whether it's a blowjob or an exchange of images, should always be consensual. It's essential that you make sure that you are both up for it and that you are both giving your consent voluntarily. As we've explained, it doesn't have to be awkward or a mood killer. It can simply be a quick question, but it's vital that you do ask. Equally, it's important to understand that people can and sometimes will change their mind. Just like you might fancy pizza at seven, but when it comes time to order at eight, you'll have changed your mind. And there's nothing wrong with saying no. There's nothing wrong with changing your mind, even if you've hinted at a yes before. And this right to change your mind has to be respected. And it's important to understand that it's not a trick or a trap or being misled. It's just someone honestly changing their mind and withdrawing their consent. Remember, it's the person seeking consent who is responsible under the law for ensuring that the other person gave consent and that they have capacity to do so. It's also an ethical responsibility. Do you really want to be known as someone who pressures other people into sex at best and risks being charged with a criminal offence at worst? Lastly, and perhaps most importantly, whatever your gender or sexual orientation, you're always allowed to say no. Now, there is so much more to discuss, debate and explain, but we will have to leave it there. I hope we've helped you to understand a very serious, sensitive and complex area of the law. As we mentioned at the outset, we've created a resource sheet that can provide you with further information on the topic of consent. It'll be full of videos, myths and facts, scenarios, and it will tell young people where they can seek further advice. Just email streetlawteam at bpp.com for a copy. So, on behalf of Elizabeth, Louise and Ella, we would like to say thank you for listening as we sign off on this episode of Sex, Lies and Audio Tape. Hello, this is Rachel from the Street Law team. I've got a couple of points of clarification since this episode was originally recorded. Firstly, the podcast series had a working title. Um, We've now landed on a different title. The podcast is now called Sex Laws and Audio Tape. So you may have heard David refer to it as something slightly different during this episode. Um, The other thing we wanted to mention is we play an audio clip earlier in the episode that is the consent is everything audio clip specifically it's called um tea and consent as simple as consent is as simple as tea and that is something that was produced by thames valley police who have nothing to do with this podcast episode but we did want to share it with you because we think it is a really great teaching tool to use in your classrooms. Um, If you want to find that video, 
um, go to the consentiseverything.com website. That is um, a website created by Thames Valley Police to support their campaign to raise awareness and understanding of sexual consent. There's some really great resources on there. Um, the video itself has animation with it, and that is courtesy of Emmeline May at rockstardinosaurpirateprincess.com and Blue Seat Studios. Um, so do have a look at that resource if you are looking to create some lesson plans on this topic uh, for your students. There are lots of other really great resources, websites, um, and videos, etc. And as previously mentioned on this episode, we're happy to provide a list of those if you get in touch with us at streetlawteam at bpp.com. Thank you for listening.